Today's episode is sponsored by Tego. For most of us, indemnity insurance is one of our biggest costs of practice. But when was the last time you took a look at the coverage and compared your premium with others? Many of us are still with the same insurer we joined in med school or intern year. Thousands of doctors have made the switch to Tego and benefited from their personalised approach to pricing. You will also get an extra two months free in your first year. If you are new to private practice, you might even qualify for four years of discounted premiums. Tigo offers competitive premiums, quality cover and 24-7 support backed by top Medico legal advisors. Get a free quote and discover why thousands of doctors are insured by Tigo by visiting tigo.com.au. Hello listeners and welcome to Deep Breaths, a podcast covering topics related to the Part 2 anaesthetic exam. I'm Dr. Kate McCrossan. And I'm Dr. Kate Steele. And today's episode is These Boots Are Made For Walkin' Part 2, where we'll discuss preoperative functional capacity assessments. In this podcast, we represent our own views and not those of our employers or ANSCA. Okay, so in part one of this series, we looked at both metabolic equivalent estimation from a patient's reported ADLs or reported ability to climb two flights of stairs. We also looked at the DASI score and its utility in accurately predicting VO2 peak and anaerobic threshold and how DASI scores relate with postoperative outcomes. So in this episode, part two, we're going to look at both the modified DASI or MDASI assessment and the six minute walk test. Now, as we alluded to at the end of our last episode, a secondary analysis during the METS trial found that there were some DASI questions that were better able to predict a VO2 peak of over 16 mils per kilo per minute and an anaerobic threshold of over 11 mils per kilo per minute. From the original DASI questionnaire of 12 yes and no questions, these five were combined to form the modified DASI or MDASI. These questions were, are you able to climb a flight of stairs or climb a hill? Are you able to do heavy work around the house? Are you able to do yard work? Are you able to have sexual relations? And are you able to participate in strenuous sports? Now, in a nutshell, these five questions were found to be more robust at predicting whether a patient's functional capacity was satisfactory. The the authors also found that though the question assessing a patient's capacity for sexual activity was statistically significant in its utility to predict satisfactory functional capacity, removing this question did not substantially affect the MDASI questionnaire's ability to predict a VO2 peak of greater than 16 mils per kilogram per minute or an anaerobic threshold of greater than 11 mils per kilo per minute. The main reason for considering the removal of this question was the concern about it being deemed sensitive. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> an unusual question to yeah. ask in an anaesthetic yeah. assessment. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you go in for an anaesthetic assessment and people are asking about sexual activity, that's not exactly something that's expected. And it, it can be as uncomfortable for the clinician as it can for the yeah, patient. Yeah, so it's probably a good call. Not devastated about that. Um, so, unfortunately, there was no analysis as to whether the MDASI was as useful as the original DASI or cardiopulmonary exercise testing in predicting postoperative complications. And the authors cite the need for more studies to validate the utility of the MDASI as a screening tool, particularly in individuals that are older and those with significant multiple comorbidities and those who are scheduled for non-cardiac surgery. Now, lastly, we wanted to talk about the six-minute walk test. In truth, this is a form of functional capacity testing that I very rarely encountered in anaesthetics, but it's often something you see quoted particularly in letters from respiratory physicians. That's true. So what is the six-minute walk test? For the most part, the six-minute walk test is used as an assessment tool in several different clinical settings, which include, but are not limited to, 
for patients with moderate to severe cardiopulmonary disease and assessing their response to treatment modalities. To establish disease severity in patients with respiratory disease, particularly those with COPD. As a predictor of mortality in patients with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And to quantify symptom severity and functional limitation in patients with peripheral vascular disease. Patients are asked to walk at their usual walking pace for six minutes. And during the course of the test are monitored for heart rate, oxygen saturation, and at the conclusion of the test, additional parameters of fatigue, dyspnea with the Borg scale and the total distance walked. Now, fortunately for us, another subgroup analysis was performed on the participants of the METS trial. And you've heard us, as I'm sure you've heard us mention many times already. Now, the authors of the subgroup analysis published in the BJA in 2019 specifically addressed the six-minute walk test in predicting disability-free survival after major surgery. In this particular subgroup analysis, the patient's preoperative six-minute walk test result was assessed in the setting of several different primary and secondary outcomes. The primary outcome was a correlation between the distance walked and both the quality of recovery 30 days after surgery and the presence of disability-free survival at 12 months post-surgery. Secondary outcomes assessed were correlations between the six-minute walk test and the cardiopulmonary exercise testing-derived VO2 peak, as well as larger METS trials primary and secondary outcomes, which included death or myocardial infarction within 30 days of surgery, death within one year of surgery. Patients were divided into three groups or tertiles based on the results of their six-minute walk test, in which the lowest tertile consisted of patients with a six-minute walk test result of 435 metres or less, the middle tertile consisted of patients with a result of between 435 and 510 metres, and the highest tertile, which consisted of patients whose result was greater than 510 metres. I love that word, tertile. It just makes me think of the Irish accent, tertile, to be sure, to be sure. (laughs) It's a good one. Sorry for my offensive portrayal of Irish people. Okay, so there were a couple of interesting findings that came out of this analysis. In general, the six-minute walk test was poorly predictive of recovery, disability-free survival at 12 months, and cardiovascular outcomes when it was used as a continuous scale. Interestingly, as well was the finding that the VO2 peak as measured during cardiopulmonary exercise testing was even less predictive of disability-free survival than the six-minute walk test and was not predictive of either the primary or secondary outcomes assessed in the METS trial that we mentioned earlier. There was, however, an improvement in the predictive outcomes of the six-minute walk test when the results of the distance walked were characterised by their tertile. Those in the highest tertile who were able to walk more than 510 metres were more than three times more likely to have a disability-free survival than those patients in the lowest tertile with six-minute walk test results of less than 435 metres. In a similar fashion, 30-day death or myocardial infarction, new disability and mortality were all found to be more common in patients in the lowest tertile, those with six-minute walk test scores of less than 435 metres. The sensitivity and specificity of the six-minute walk test in predicting disability-free survival was further improved when patients walked shorter distances. It was found that patients whose six-minute walk test result was 370 metres were even less likely to have disability-free survival at 12 months postoperatively. These patients were found to have a 20% chance of a significant increase in disability. When the authors of the subgroup analysis assessed the predictive ability of the DASI questionnaire in predicting disability-free survival, they found that for each point increase in the DASI score, there was a 6% increase in the chance of disability-free survival. The DASI score was better at predicting disability-free survival than the six-minute walk test. 
So again, what does this mean for us? Now, obviously, there were many limitations that hindered a patient's ability to complete the six-minute walk test beyond cardiopulmonary reserve, and this included factors like pain. Overall, though, the six-minute walk test correlated weekly with 30-day recovery, 12-month disability-free survival, and METS study cardiovascular outcomes. The DASI questionnaire was found to be a better predictor of disability-free survival in patients deemed moderate to high risk, but even the DASI questionnaire's ability in doing this was modest. Ultimately, when looking for a tool to assess a patient's functional capacity and to thus attempt to quantify their perioperative risk from this, we don't have any tools that are brilliant, wonderful, or amazing. That said, of the four tools we have discussed today, the DASI questionnaire appears to be the most accurate tool in determining a patient's need for further cardiovascular assessment and potentially in predicting disability-free survival. Hmm. Okay. And then the question is, when you find it, what do you do with it? You know, like yeah. when you go from there, because prehabilitation is still an emerging area. So yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. I think ultimately watch this space. I think we're probably going to see a lot of innovation and change in this particular area of perioperative mm. medicine over the next five to 10 years. Mm. So this is potentially a shifting landscape. We'll just have mm. to keep our eyes on the literature. That's it. Mm. So with that, we've found ourselves at the end of another episode. But before we sign off, Kate, what have you learned this week in anesthesia? Well, it's not so much that I'm sharing something I've learned, but sharing a funny little fact that I'd actually forgotten until I started researching this episode. So I'm actually listed as a contributor and one of many, many contributors that I should add for the METS trial, which I'd totally forgotten about until I was going through the research thinking this sounds very familiar. Yeah. Um, so as it turns out, I was when I was a fellow in 2015, I was involved in data collection for the METS trial and was also responsible for conducting questionnaires on patients and had to be present for the cardiopulmonary exercise testing component in case there was a problem. So if you actually look at the list of contributors on the METS trial article, you can find my name. <laughs> How random is that? So it's not new and interesting and something I've learned, but oh, well, I kind of reacquainted myself with a study that I'd forgotten I was a part of. Yeah. Go figure. Great. Kate, what about you? What have you learned in anesthesia this week? Uh, so oh, that's a good question. I was going <laughs> to rack my brains with it. Um, so I've recently done a little, just a very tiny quality improvement project at work with oh, regards cool. to walking patients, like not even walking them from the pre-op area into theatre, but just anyway, we long story, how our theatres are set up. Um, mm. We're literally just looking at walking them from the induction bay if they can yeah. into the operating theatre. Nice. Uh, and I guess there was traditionally a bit of cultural belief that we weren't allowed to Push do that, back. you know, or there yeah. was, yeah. Um, but in fact, when we, you know, we talked to all the key stakeholders, there wasn't any, you know, significant um, yeah. you know, issues or pushback on that. So that was great. But anyway, when I was um, doing like a little literature review before all of mm. this kicked off, uh, yeah, patients being able to choose their mode of transport to the theatre can reduce their anxiety. Um, there's yeah. a nice little study on that. Um, I suppose so, it gives them a sense of agency in a situation mm, where they completely cannot make any mm, of their own decisions, which would be super frustrating. I think the only other situation where you're in that sort of position is when you fly because you have no agency yeah, over what happens. So, very little. Yeah. It's yeah. Somewhat, we don't I, like a loss of control oh, definitely as a species, not. I don't think. Yeah. I think also it's just interesting when you – and I think you see this at work or like I experienced it um, when I had an operation myself, but when you're lying flat on a trolley and getting wheeled in, everyone just keeps – if you watch it, everyone just keeps talking around the patients generally. It's yeah. very uncommon for everyone to stop and acknowledge the patient. Yeah. Um, and everyone just sort of keeps doing their thing, you know, yeah. pounding instruments and getting prepared for the day. But when a patient walks into the operating theatre, yeah. you can't really ignore them and everyone turns around and says hello and greets them, That's which is really so interesting. True. That's mm. so true. We, I find the same thing. So for one of our lists, for all of our urology lists, patients walk to mm. theatre and we walk them from like right. the surgical daycare unit where they get 
admitted and assessed mm. and all that sort of stuff. It's probably a good 60 or 70 mm. meter walk from that area to the theatre. Yeah, okay. And you're absolutely right. The mm. second they're in theatre, everyone turns, acknowledges, mm-hmm. addresses them, says hello and mm. waves and all sorts of stuff. But when you're wheeling someone into theatre, it's not as warm a reception. Mm. And I would imagine that from a patient's perspective, it'd be much more pleasant being acknowledged yeah. and yeah. appreciated yeah. for your presence. So I think that's I really agree. interesting mm. and very fair. So, yeah, so we'll see. I'll get some follow-up data and see, you know, how much we're actually doing it and whether it's, you know, there's been any issues, etc. But, um, mm. yeah, early days. Sounds so. cool. Mm. Well, it's been a worthwhile chat on today's episode of Deep Breaths. Consultants and fellows, don't forget to claim CPD for listening. Instructions for how to do this are in our episode notes. If you have any episode suggestions or you'd just like to say hi, you can email us at deepbreathspod at gmail.com. We love hearing from you and your feedback lets us know what's happening out there in the ether. Uh, Thanks for listening and we hope you can join us next time on Deep Breaths.